It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, hi ho neighbor. How are you? My name's Ian. Brian's here giving out double high fives. Double air high fives to all the angels in the room. <laughs> Everyone who's here. <laughs> Steve and John. John's giving us spirit fingers. It is a lively Tuesday <laughs> here at AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Ian. Did I say that already? Yeah, I, I did. You did. <laughs> you did. I'm on my you're 12th cup of coffee. to be here. <laughs> I am. I'm just pumped. I'm pumped that you're here, Brian. I'm pumped that you're here, John. I'm we're pumped also that... pumped that we're going to do a segment called Grind My Gears That's later. That's true. That's coming, up. That's coming up later, which is super exciting. But... Uh, I do want to give you a little bit of information about the show. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. We're on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can call us on the telefono. That is 312-660-2594. I do need to I think we're doing Grind My Gears tomorrow, but uh, that's something to kind of whet your appetite Uh, a little bit. We're talking about Grind My Gears. (laughs) So excited about it. He's bouncing in your seat right now. You don't look like your gears are ground, though. Oh, but I've got stories. See, that's why you're a sleeper, Brian, because you have this pleasant demeanor, but beneath it's just molten lava. It's going to come out. Ready to to burst. (laughs) All right, so here's something that we just can't get away from. It keeps coming up in conversation. I keep seeing articles. Um, But I saw this today posted on USA Today, ironically. And uh, here's the headline and the subheading, and then we're going to get into the weeds. It says, Welcome to America. The land of the perpetually whiny and offended. And then this is the subheading. Uh, Instead of debating ideas, the left and right are demanding that anyone who annoys them be cast out of polite society. So we're we're talking about cancel culture. Yes. And essentially what that is, uh, if I could paint with broad strokes, are people typically in the limelight. I think that's been the vast majority of the stories I've heard of people that are you know well known and we're digging up old tweets or old YouTube episodes or old sketches or whatever of things that maybe were fine 15, 20 years ago that uh, are deemed by a lot of people as pretty offensive. Now we're kind of just saying they're dead to us. There's no, and I found this so interesting because in an article like USA today, uh, when it says what happened to grace and forgiveness, it says cancel culture is spreading for one simple reason. It works. Instead of debating ideas or competing for entertainment dollars, you can just demand anyone who annoys you to be cast out of polite society. And then it goes on and says, our woke mentality is America's new Puritanism. Instead of a handy list of sins written thousands of years ago, modern sins are ever changing. A joke that was deemed progressive a decade ago is retroactively condemned as hate speech today. Mm. And I'd love to know, as we've kind of touched on this a couple of times, where do you land in all this? How do you navigate this cancel culture and do we see this like at play in the church at all or is this simply just sort of a a pop culture type of conversation or is there is there something in between there i think it's everything right now whether it be uh pop culture that's where they start this article you and i talked about the sarah silverman podcast last week where and that's what they talk about in this article where she was going to be in a movie soon and instead they found an old sketch 10 15 years ago from a comedy show where she wore blackface uh, which and, is not no, it's not good, okay. And right. she said back then it was a way to talk about race. It was kind of a funny sketch, and she said, "I regret it." 
but they pulled her from the movie. And then this thing starts starts talking about Kevin Hart uh-huh. getting pulled from the Oscars for right. old jokes. Um, and then Roseanne Barr, which was interesting because that wasn't a past thing. That's what something she said in the moment. Right. And they said, we got to pull you from a show that had nothing to do with really what you said, because we don't want you linked to it. Um, and so they're asking that question, like, how do we go about this? But you and I were talking off air. It even gets for me, it gets even a more interesting when you even start talking about historical figures and, and talking about what did they do? Uh-huh. Uh, in their time where it was okay, but now it's not. And therefore, do we erase historical figures, you know, and you asked, does it happen in the church? I mean, famously, John Piper, 10 years ago, five years ago, tweeted farewell, Rob Bell, right? Uh-huh. When Rob Bell came out with some of his stuff. And that was who knew John Piper was on the cutting edge of cancel culture, right? <laughs> like kind of real trendsetter right there. And so the question is, I think it's something as a culture we have to wrestle with because uh, it's only going to get um, this seems to be because I, I love the way this USA Today uh, guy, John Gabriel, uh, talks about it because he says it's also a way to get rid of the people you don't like or agree with. Right. And so um, he says our woke mentality is America's new puritanism. Instead of a handy list of sins written thousands of years ago, modern sins are ever changing. A, do- a joke that was deemed progressive a decade ago is retroactively condemned as hate speech. And it goes on and on and on. And you're just like, yeah, I don't know where this is what I struggle because I see why this is going on. Uh, but I can also see the danger of it. Like if everything you said five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago uh, can be um, again um, churned out in the in the in the uh, sphere of public opinion right now and what you said back then even if you haven't said it in 20 years should that then cancel you now i don't know i get really uncomfortable with it um but maybe there is something to it maybe and and you and i talked about it with the sarah silverman thing last week what else makes me uncomfortable is who gets to decide what's canceled and not yeah, what's right, not who right. gets to make that call so I do think it's it's this is a classic example of a slippery slope that I think is really dangerous. I think that to be on one end of cancel culture now, you're going to find yourself on the other end of it on the next one. And and it can become dangerous. But I guess that there's also some validity to it. So I think that's what we as a culture need to wrestle with. Well, and it's interesting because part of me wants to say, hey, that's the price you pay for being in the public space. If you're going to be a celebrity or a leader you are, or a politician, you're opening yourself up to some of that. We are entering in a very new age of uh, digital record keeping that, you know, 20 years ago wasn't really a conversation. But we did even have a conversation yesterday, though, about, you know, Billy Graham's grandson, Tulian, yep. who is now planting a new church after uh, a lot of problems, a lot of um, kind of systemic issues. And so part of the example that I gave was, what, at our church, when our pastor was removed, you know, that was 15 years ago now. But, Your old church. Uh, my old church, right. Yeah. There was a... Thanks, get Dave thanks, thanks, thanks for the clarification, <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of the outcry was, well, what about grace? What yep. about forgiveness? The, the exact question that this article is asking, and part of what our elders, the conclusion they came to was, um, grace has been extended, he's been forgiven, but he's disqualified himself from leadership of this church. Yep. So I'm wondering, you know, even even in this sense of like disqualification. And obviously I think we hold, we should <laughs> hold pastors and maybe different standards than right. actors and stuff. But I like how this article ends. It says, uh, when the mob has burned one, witch, they tighten their buckles on their hats and pour through old YouTube videos for their next victim. 
It's time for the perpetually offended on the left and right to bring back two concepts the Puritans were at least familiar with, grace and forgiveness. And just as we wrap up, I'm curious, how in your mind does grace and forgiveness play out in the face of what have been some pretty awful, heinous acts? It wasn't just like, hey, 100 years ago, this was acceptable. You're like, nope, people did some pretty awful, terrible things. And I bet you 100 years from now, people will look at some of the stuff that is acceptable or okay by the vast majority of us. How do you reconcile in the church or in culture, terrible acts, condemning the acts, but then in like Sarah Silverman's case, like saying, Hey, you've apologized, you've owned it. We're we're not going to hold that over your head in the, in the years to come. Yeah. I think there's, there's that there's a recognition, but then there's just understanding context. Like, um, that not everything is so black and white, that there can be a little bit of gray and go, well, this is the context this person was either speaking in or living in. Even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it was very different yeah. that people change people more, you know, people, um, you know, progress and grow and that maybe we could be OK with someone going, you know what? I'm not proud of what I said 15 years ago, but here's who I am now. And we cannot, you know, get out our our, our torches and be like, we're going to get that person that we can understand that a little bit and show grace and forgiveness and go, we don't need to cut everybody out for every by parsing everything they've said at all points of their life. Yeah. Hopefully this is something that we keep getting better at. And even as you and I kind of verbally process in a room with microphones, you're hearing some of our struggle with a lot of this. And uh, I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time we're going to deal with this topic. Okay. So let's let out a big exhale because our next segment, here's the headline. Uh, people who decorate for Christmas earlier are happier, according to a psychologist. We're going to find out if Ian and Brian actually agree with that or not. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Why did I say it like I was Bob Barker? <laughs> I love Bob Barker. Well, welcome back to The Common Good. Whatever. I I'm, love Bob I'm, Barker. I'm, I'm, I, I, do you, though? Why I do you do. love Bob Barker? Because I can remember growing up, like, this is really funny. I feel like <laughs> when I would stay, you were homeschooled, so you missed these opportunities. Like, But, like, when you finally were either legitimately sick or talked your parents into making, or, like, believing right. that you were sick. <laughs> right. Now that I'm a parent, I can totally, I should apologize to my parents, because I know they could see through it completely, but they played along with the gag. Do you think so? Oh, nice. 100%. I do it with my kids. They'll be, I'll be like, hey, good effort. You can stay home today. <laughs> Good effort. You'll give like a little yeah, applause, like for great it. performance. But uh, I can remember nothing felt like nothing said you're home from school than than more than the Price is Right for me. Like it felt like you were that scandalous makes to be watching the Price is like, Right when ooh, you should I'm be watching at something school. I'm not supposed to be. No, right. I'm supposed to, but you're like I'm supposed to be at school right now. But instead, <laughs> I'm watching Plinko. This is the best, which is probably pretty funny to a teacher too, because I imagine watching it, you were still kind of doing like math in your head, <laughs> so you're still learning. They still won. The house always wins. Do you think he was a good guy, though, Bob Barker? You liked him because of what he was like associated with. Plus, and- Happy Gilmore. Right. That. Yeah, but he's portrayed kind of a, as a jerk in Happy Gilmore. So, so there are, uh, there are. I don't know if there's substantiated or unsubstantiated stories about Bob Barker that would maybe uh, answer that question. But I'm going to choose with the Happy Gilmore slash Prices Right Bob Barker. I'm going to live with that image in my head. I just looked him up. He's 95 years old. And and have your pet spayed and neutered. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all what I was planning to talk about, but that was a fun derail. Okay, so here's an article. That I really, really don't like at all. Oh. Not even a little bit. Okay. Are you ready for this? I am. People who decorate for Christmas earlier are happier, according to a psychologist. Is this just a psychologist? 
Just the, one, because I feel like this psychologist is probably one of those stupid people who keeps her Christmas decorations <laughs> up all year. <laughs> wow. Tell us how you really feel, Brian Fromm. No, you tell me why you're mad about this. So go ahead. Can I first yes. go on just a little bit of an old man rant here? I, I'm, I am so ready. Oh, my gosh. I, this, so I can't believe we've not talked about this. I love Christmas so much. Yep. So when I say what I'm about to say, people will often go, why don't you like Christmas, Ian? I love Christmas so much in its proper place. Which, by the way, Christmas does not mm. end on December 25th. If I could get all orthodox on Keep you going. all. Like, Go, you it, take this anywhere you want. That's the beginning. Okay. Part of my issue, though, is that we'll start seeing Christmas decorations in September. And what really drives me crazy is when we skip right over Thanksgiving, the holiday meant for us to really remember and be grateful for all that we yes. have. How do you feel about Black Friday, by the oh, way? Oh, don't even get me started <laughs> no, on Black sorry, Friday. Christmas, keep going. Which my brothers and I would actually go to for funsies. Yep. We would just like pretend that we were distance runners at Black Friday sales. And we'd dress like in sweatbands and running shorts. That's a whole different story. But the idea and that we... completely believable, oh, too. Oh, yes, that's 100%. A we used to do it every year. But we skip over this holiday that's meant to be about gratitude and thanksgiving for what we already have for family for time and we jump right to yep. like more debt more stuff more consumerism things by the which that i can't think of many things more opposite to like the centrality of christ's life like mm-hmm. that that probably drives me crazy as well and i love i think day after thanksgiving decorate your brains out Get okay, all the, so you're a Thanksgiving. You got to get the Thanksgiving. Because when we skip over that, it just sort of diminishes, I think, the real significance of gratitude. I think it's such a needed and lost posture of the American heart that mm. when we jump right to, and I know some people like their love language is giving gifts. And so for Christmas, it's not about getting stuff. It's yep. For them, it's like how they love people. I'm not, I mean, I'm definitely sympathetic to that. But this idea that people start decorating in October or November honestly drives me a little crazy and the fact that we stop with like a hard stop at december 25th 26th and then it's over like there's all sorts of oh i want to like send people like i want to send everyone i could like just a a book on like what the 12 days of christmas is about and why celebrating (laughs) that whole holiday in its fullness is so important and so beautiful and so missed I think in our Western context, but I have no idea if I'm offending you by all this. Maybe you're an early decorator. I don't know. I, I am not an early you're decorator. You're not, okay. No. So now let me get, I'm going to have an old man moment here. For, yes, for let's a call this the old man segment. Uh, when did decorating, when did Halloween lights become a thing? Oh, I don't. Did that happen in your neighborhood with yes. people who put up the, no, I get the scary, de- like the scary, like, ooh, we're going to put a tombstone, you know, fake tombstone in our front yard. But like decorating your bushes with orange lights for Halloween, that's like a pet peeve of mine. Oh, but, it is? Oh, yeah. Because it's like not a real holiday? Or... I might have told my kids one time we drove past someone in the neighborhood and they were oh, no. like, why don't we do that? And I said, because it's dumb. <laughs> oh, so it's not a Christian thing for you. You just don't like it. Oh, no, not at all a Christian thing for me. In fact, it causes me to act unchristianly. But... Uh, no, I'm not an early decorator. Uh, yours is much more on a principled stand. Mine is much more on a, like, I don't ever get to it. Oh, the really? Ones, okay. The ones that bother me are the people who leave their Christmas lights out all year long and just <laughs> unplug. But, I think, I think um, that's kind of genius, actually. That's how my family used to do it. But, <laughs> Seriously, awesome. we went away on a vacation one July, and our next-door neighbor like climbed up our tree, took them the lights, and coiled them up on our porch. <laughs> Stop it. Well, I love your family, but, you know. Uh, I do, too. It is, uh, yeah, Christmas Christmas uh, early. I do get what you mean, too, about like once you start seeing it, it's become such a consumeristic holiday. Right. 
Uh, and then the, that Thanksgiving that where we're supposed to uh, sit and think about what we're thankful for has turned into like, how early can I get to the mall or get to Amazon? Yes, right. It's, it just those two things speak amazingly about who we are as a culture. Well, and I found this interesting. I will. I want to be even handed here. A study published in the Journal of Environmental Psychology revealed that there is a correlation between decorating a house for Christmas and seemingly more open and social to neighbors. The study said that a seasonally decorated house could help people without friends on their block, quote, integrate themselves into neighborhoods, social activities. So I get that there is certainly some social components that are helpful yeah. here. I know for a lot of people, especially if they've lost loved ones, like decorating and taking part in all those festivities is a way to kind of cope and heal. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to sound like just a curmudgeon. I'm not insensitive to those things. I just think Thanksgiving can do so much of that too. Yes. And when we skip right over that to the, to the gimme, 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 yep. particularly as a way to honor Christ's birth and then stop right at the 25th. I don't know. That's like a trifecta that kind of drives me crazy. <laughs> I, yours does make a lot of sense. Although I tend to get caught every year. Uh, post Thanksgiving, uh, the neighbors have picked like that one Saturday where it's 58 degrees in December uh, to like nice, have a nice time of hanging their stuff. And I'm always like, I got to, got to do it. And I don't get to it. And then I end up hanging it when it's like right. 21 and misting yeah, same, outside. Totally. Cause my kids are like, we got to get the stuff up. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> uh, that tends to be me, but it is interesting. I get that. Some people do. I think you bring up a great point though, about, uh, and I'm sure you and I are going to talk about it a lot. Well, you and I have never been doing a show around Thanksgiving or Christmas That's time right. and, and trying to help people remember like, you know, the, the, <laughs> The, the weird way of saying it is like Jesus is the reason for the season, right? But like not being flippant about it, but trying to remind people at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, like remember what this is supposed to be about. Well, and I'll, I'll end with this too as sort of a, a counter argument. Psychologist Steve McGowan uh, told Unilad, in a world full of stress and anxiety, people like to associate the things that make them happy and Christmas decorations evoke those strong feelings of the childhood, yeah. which I'm for. The wonder and awe of Christmas. Like, I'm getting excited about it. Just not like, please hear me. I love Christmas. I love wonder. <laughs> I love awe. I love getting gifts for people. It's something that I really enjoy doing. I just think sometimes we miss so much of the significance of Christmas by skipping over Thanksgiving. The season meant for yeah. family and for food and for enjoying each other's company. Like, I think it's like getting to Easter with, without sitting in Good Friday. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's not quite the same, but there is something to be said about, let's first look at all that we do have. Yeah. Whether yeah. whether it's a lot or a little or however you measure that, like, be grateful, a posture of gratitude. I, I honestly, I think is needed now Maybe more than ever. Absolutely. And uh, that's my soapbox, and I'm sure I'll never speak of it ever, ever again. All right, Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Well, coming up next, this college dropout was bedridden for 11 years. Then he invented a surgery and cured himself. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And that is our hippie mix. So feel free to... Uh, Grab those Jerry Garcia glasses, your best tie-dye shirt. Mm. Come swear with us on The Common Good. Come swear with us? No, no sway. <laughs> you say? Oh, you said, I literally said you said come swear. I'm like, oh, man, we're getting really comfortable come on this. Come swear list. with us. Yeah. Come <laughs> swear with us. <laughs> come swear with us, too. Or Brian is going on the road, and yeah, I probably shouldn't continue that joke. Um, anywho, you can find us all over the place. That's this funny. is a show all about taking a deep dive, hopefully sometimes into complicated topics, sometimes heartwarming ones. Sometimes we just kind of go on curmudgeonly rants which perhaps you've noticed, but you found this story and the headline alone is, 
is actually super interesting. It's a bit of a lengthy story. Yeah. So why don't you uh, let us know what it's about and then kind of fill us in on what's actually going on. So is that CNN? And I, you're right. The headline just caught me. It says this. This college dropout was bedridden for 11 years. Then he invented a surgery and cured himself. That's crazy. I kind of read that like it was one of our end of the show, like crazy stories right there. <laughs> yeah, right, Out of right. Florida. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, what's the sound effect that goes with that one? So it's a Doug Lindsay. He tw- was 21 years old, starting his senior year of college at Rockhurst University in Kansas City when his world imploded. After his first day of classes, the biology major collapsed at home on the dining room table, the room spinning around him. It was 1999. The symptoms soon became intense and untreatable. His heart would race. He felt weak. He got dizzy. Uh, It says Lindsay could walk only about 50 feet at a time and couldn't stand more than a few minutes. Even lying on the floor, he didn't uh, feel like it was low enough. Hmm. He would spend the next 11 years mostly confined to a hospital bed in his living room in St. Louis, hamstrung by this mysterious ailment. So doctors are completely uh, flummoxed. They don't know what is going on. Treatment after treatment doesn't help. And it says this. Lindsay eventually realized that if he wanted his life back, he would have to do it himself. Wow. It's like, what is going on here? And so it continues to go. Uh, his journey, it says, has amazed medical professionals. He did something extraordinary. I can do something. Uh, when people hear Lindsay's story, uh, they often say, I can do something similar for my kid. And so it says whatever was wrong with him ran in his family. By the time Lindsay was 11, 18 months old, his mother was so weak she could no longer pick him up. And so it's running in the family. He gets it. And then finally, in the fall of 1999 onward, he's bedridden about 22 hours a day. He says, if I was up, it was because I was eating or going to the bathroom. He immersed himself in medical research, determined to find a way out. He saw specialists from endocrinology, neurology, internal medicine, other special specialties. When one doctor was out of the ideas, he referred him to a psychiatrist. Wow. Uh, he realized he'd have to figure his predicament out on his own. Uh, he zeroed in on his adrenal glands, which sit atop the kidneys, uh, and then using a stash of aging medical books, uh, he hypothesized that a whole class of aut- autonomic, autonomic, that's like autonomy, autonomic nervous system disorders could exist beyond the established categories of what most endocrinologists and neurologists knew about. And so you can find the story at CNN because as it goes on, uh, he kind of did some, he kind of uh, manufactured kind of a, a, a drug to use, but then he eventually uh, comes up with a surgery to help himself. Yeah. Uh, he diagnosed, it says, a disorder doctors didn't believe could exist. Lindsay suspected there might be something in his adrenal gland that acted like a tumor but wasn't one. A fourth scan in 2006 showed his adrenals grow, glowing brightly. Uh, and then he's. they said, we found it in layman's terms. It means the inner regions of his adrenal glands were enlarged and acting like tumors. They were producing way too much adrenaline and then he pioneers a new surgery he says this if there isn't a surgery i'm going to make one Mm. could you imagine that he goes in and you slice the he they figured out on a rat that you could slice the adrenal gland with a razor blade and squeeze it so the medulla pops out like a pimple he spent the next 18 months working to find a surgeon who can oversee it and lo and behold uh that's what they did he's now 41 years old uh, many of his friends with whom he planned to graduate are now married with kids. He still lives in his childhood home. He's trying to get his life back. 
But man, I read this story. I don't even know what the point is. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Except that this guy, his life was over. Could you imagine, first of all, being bedridden for 22 hours a day? No. At the age of 18, 19, 20, no. all the way up for years. And he says, I think the point is this. Uh, he didn't just listen to people when they said, there's nothing we can do for you. Hmm. Or you're crazy. They said they sent them to a psychiatrist. But instead, and I think I like it because it's such an extreme form of the story, of, of the concept that he uh, that he literally got to the point where he created a surgery and yeah, then like right. uh, found a surgeon who could help him. This took like 15 years. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we can do the surgery. We just do it. Right. And I don't know. There's something inspiring about reading this story in which he says, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to deal with my own problems. Mm. Obviously, this the story's not deal with your own problems. Don't go find a doctor or whatever. But he said, you know what? I've got an issue. I'm going to deal with it, and I'm not going to stop until it's figured out. I think there's something really inspiring there in the midst of just a crazy story. I, I could see us making a movie about it. Yeah. Like, it's the kind of story that, like, takes a long time to tell and all the things that you just said about the intricacies of how many how many dead ends he found. You know, it wasn't just like a, oh, and I tripped and there was this solution. Like, all sorts of heartache, all sorts of false diagnosis. Like, that to me, it's, I mean, we read it in just a couple of minutes. But like like you were saying, the journey of disappointment and yeah. the human drive. Like, it's the, it's the similar feeling that I, I get when I watch people. Like, I saw this video of a guy with one leg doing, like, high jumps. I saw that. And that like, was nuts. I'm like, what is my excuse? Or someone with one arm doing powerlifting. Like, they, they were faced with just unthinkable hurdles, and they said, I'm not quitting. I'm yeah. not going This is not going to stop me. And I think there's something to stories like that that every person sees or hears and says, more of that. But it's harder when you're in the midst of the story. Because I imagine... People were frustrated with him. Like, just listen to this doctor. I just know. listen to this diagnosis. This diagnosis, and he's like, "No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's right." So it's 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 often one of those stories, those types of stories that we only celebrate in hindsight once the person is sort of like you know they've emerged victorious. Exactly. And exactly. I, I don't know how to be more present for stories like that. Like, how easily do we sometimes dismiss someone who's got a crazy new idea yeah. or a crazy new way of thinking about something, and we go, "Ah, that that'll never work," or that's like in a much more you know, maybe common mundane sense. There are probably young leaders in our churches that are proposing ideas that in our brains were like, that'll never work. Or that'll, you know, I remember hearing Andy Stanley say, um, you can fight it or you can fund it. Mm. He says the next generation ideas will never come from the previous generation. Wow. So he's saying this. And I think at the time he was in his mid forties, he's like, I yeah. just have to, I can choose to fight it or I can fund it. Mm -hmm. These guys that are coming up, you know, half my age that I honestly sometimes think are crazy. I have one or two options, fight it or fund it. Mm. And I think part of North Point's success is they've just said, all right, we're 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 going to be okay with failure. We're going to try some stuff, even crazy stuff that maybe other churches aren't willing to do. And I think in some ways it's it's really been beneficial for them. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I, oh, that's good stuff right there. Uh, I think that it is just a testament again to, uh, to not every obstacle that sometimes obstacles are so huge they seem like you can't get past them, but even – taking these small steps, right? I don't think he said to himself, I'm going to create a surgery. He's like, I'm just going to start reading. I'm going to start trying to figure this out. I'm not going to just lay here. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and man, it was, uh, it, it was really powerful. I think I, 
the reason I wanted to just tell that story is because when I read it, I was like, there's something, there's some mm. life principles here that are powerful in a really extreme case that we can take down into our day to day. I think that are helpful. Well, and there's something too about seeing someone in the faces of, uh, of unthinkable odds, um, digging in. And I'm sure there's all other parts of the story where he like wanted to give up I'm and sure. couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but like maybe you're in the midst of that now. And maybe you need to put one foot in front of the next. Maybe you need some hope, yep. or some encouragement to keep trying, to keep working at it, to keep filling out job applications, to keep believing that God is something for you relationally, emotionally, physically. And it may, not look like what you had in mind yeah. but like that idea that god is faithful even when our own faith is shaky i think is a principle that i keep yes. going back to and i think this story just in a lot of ways kind of communicates that absolutely all right well coming up next i want to talk about a statement that uh, joe biden made he says there's an awful lot of really good republicans out there but i get in trouble for saying things like that i want to mm-hmm. unpack that statement just a little bit more that's what's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the interwebs. Just type our names into Google and I'm sure you'll you'll find... No? No. If they typed Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm... Okay, together. (laughs) Together. Wait a minute, why not separately? (laughs) I don't want people finding any of... That stuff. Well, there was a night in 2004. Oh, <laughs> boy. Oh, Tijuana. That's right. Okay. Uh, all right. So I, Our I, next remote. Yeah, right. First remote. I Last mentioned remote. this earlier. So uh, Democratic front runner. Is he really the front runner? Joe I, Biden. I heard today on the Today Show that he's, uh, anyway, his what approval rating has yeah. gone. So not even like, will you vote for him? Just people's approval rating of him. Yeah. Was it 54% before he last this time last year when he was kind of above politics? Right. I'm using air quotes there. Right. Uh, remember, he kind of positioned himself uh-huh. as like, and now he got in the race and it's at 34. Oh, really? Yes, immediately. Well, that's an interesting case study. Yep. That was on the, the Stay Today above Show it all today. And more people like you. And, yeah. Or at least and, a pre, a, appear to be above it all. It's why when, uh, when um, presidents are in office, they're unpopular. And when they get out of office, mm. they're now above it. They're outside the fray. People like them a lot more. You know, it's also interesting the closer and closer we get to voting day. It seems like everyone's message just gets broader and broader. Yes. Like they start on a more specific platform and the closer we get to like the day, yep. like pay attention to it. The generalities just become so much more <laughs> sweeping. It's like, well, are we all being duped? The answer is probably yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden is seeking unexpected allies for his presidential bid, uh, praising really good rivals on the other side of the aisle. He says, and I quote, there's an awful lot of really good Republicans out there, the former vice president told the Massachusetts fundraiser on Saturday. But then he says, I get in trouble for saying that with Democrats. But the truth of the matter is, every time we ever got in trouble with our administration, remember who got sent up to Capitol Hill to fix it? Me. <laughs> so I want to stop there. There's a little more in this short article. But you and I were both kind of interested in this idea of him kind of owning the fact that even if I say there are really good people on the other side of a political debate, I'm going to get in trouble. Yep. What do you, what do you find so interesting and timely about all that? Because I think it gets at the heart of what's wrong with our culture right now, right? Just to be, to disagree with somebody means that they are, you're now your enemy and you have to defeat them. And, and I get it. Biden's trying to, he's trying to set a lane here. So I understand right. what he's doing as politics here. He's right. trying to set a lane as the one who can cross over to all these people who are tired of the partisanship. I totally get what's happening here, but it is interesting that he says, uh, I'm there are good Republicans out there and I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. Right. And let's 
we all know the truth is the same on the other side. If, if uh, you know, person Republican X says, oh, there are really good Democrats that I want to work with over there. All of a sudden you're, you know, you're whatever. You, right. You're not uh, on the team anymore. Uh, and, and it's something about our culture right now, because it's not just political. It's uh, it's everywhere where uh, if I disagree with you, if you and I disagree, we you are now wholeheartedly enemy. You're bad. Right. right. There, it can't be. Ian has an idea and opinion that's different from mine, uh, but I'm actually going to presume good intentions on his part. Yeah. Like he does that later in the article. He says, uh, you know what? They uh, says they're decent people. They're decent people. Right. And and that, uh, you know, that they got into this for the right reasons. Probably most of them. He said, yeah, they're decent people. They ran because they care about things, but they're intimidated right now. Right. Right. And so he's trying to take that middle lane. Uh, but I do think whether you believe that he believes it or not, you know, is up to your politics. But I would say I think he's putting his finger on something that is a huge problem in our in our culture right now. That that to be if you and I disagree with something, we have to be enemies. We have to be at odds with each other. We have right. to yell each other down and we can't have this civil discourse. Right. Whether it be political or theological or anything else that says, you know what? I disagree with you, but I still respect you and I still and we can still be friends. Well, OK, so I want to say a couple of things. Yep. One, we talked about this, I think, way at the beginning of the show, how, you know, even with the last election, I remember beginning to feel some of this in really kind of new and intense ways that. To in any way criticize one candidate, the assumption is that you're in love with the opposing candidate. Correct. And I was like, wait, hold on. Have we lost the ability to say, yeah, there's jacked up parts to both of them or both their policies or yeah. both their positions like that? That was actually really frustrating. You you poked the hive on either side. Mm-hmm. The, the mob voice was, oh, so you must love the other right. person. I'm like, right. why? Why must I? What if I maybe I'm not interested in either of them to exactly. be, to be like that seemed um, I know people know it's thinkable, but like. The mob seems to always win at this yep. point. What I want to ask you, though, because I I agree with so much of what you just said about the need for civil discourse, the need for us to meet in the middle, the need for us to not demonize the other. Mm-hmm. Are there exceptions to that rule? Are there topics where we need to say, nope, this is not a discourse thing. What you stand for is evil or that is discriminatory or that is exploiting marginalized people. Are there caveats to this meet in the middle, we can agree to disagree where at some point you have to say, I'm digging my cleats in on this one. I'm saying, no, there's no space for this. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that there are certainly things where we need to dig in. There's hills to die on. Um, but I, even in those situations, I would ask, can you do that in a way? Uh, can you disagree without being disagreeable? Yeah. Uh, can you and I have some very fundamental differences where you think I'm, I'm borderline sinful in what I believe. And um, and you and I still uh, enter into that dialogue that allows us to be in relationship and argue this out and have conversations. I do. I think issues of, like you said, exploiting people, issues of abuse, um, issues of power, these types of things, um, racism, other. Yeah, there there are places where where we need to dig in our heels. And as you know, as Christians, you know, I think there's there's theological things right about about who uh, the nature and work of Jesus and these types of things. The question is, even when I disagree with you so fundamentally that that what you believe uh, angers me, how am I going to treat you? Yeah. Uh, Am I even culturally allowed to be friends with you? Yeah. Uh, Because right now, like Biden and others, they're taking hits right now just by being seen with 
people right. from the other party. Right, right. Uh, can I can I vehemently disagree with you on something that's important? Right, uh, and still go grab a beer with you, and still go go play golf with you, or well, do I do I have to cut out all relationships? Obviously not. And that's where I think it gets complicated because you list a bunch of things like exploitation or racism. I think both sides would likely say that's bad. Those are bad yep. things. Where it gets tricky is because topics around immigration and LGBTQ issues are the hot-button issues, mm-hmm. and people very passionately disagree about the best ways to move forward there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, when you get caught in the weeds is where it gets really tricky, and I think, you know, four or five weeks ago, we talked about a, a passage in the New Testament where Paul says, uh, always be prepared to give an answer, but do right. so with gentleness and respect. But yep. you've used the phrase, disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. Are there times, if we're really following in a prophetic tradition, where actually it is okay to be disagreeable. When you look at some of the prophets, like, oh, they weren't interested in disagreeing but not being disagreeable. They were, like, outright obnoxious. It's the nature of protests. It's the nature of civil disobedience. I am not not trying to promote. You make a good point, because hear me clearly. I'm not trying to promote that in the name of of unity and in the name of peace that we never speak out against things, that we never share our opinions. Uh, I'm more concerned with... um, with that you and I can't often share opinions, even about really hard stuff and still find what I, I think as Christ followers, the goal is still uh, to, to keep open the lines of communication, to not be the ones who don't do it with love and respect. I might disagree with you. Uh, let's pretend that you're not a Christ follower. You and I might disagree with something really hard and, and you have no desire to be in any, you wanting to discard me. I just don't think as the Christ follower, I should be the one taking that tack. That's a pretty good conclusion, Brian Fromm. Thank you. I think I agree with you there for the most part until <laughs> until I don't. Music's on. <laughs> the music's on. That's our cue to go. Well, coming up next, uh, listen to this. A prison in Indiana accepts shelter cats, and they're absolutely transforming the lives of prisoners. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. I feel like that buildup of the song always... Like, my voice doesn't match the doesn't intensity match the of that build-up. Build up. It's like the drummer of this song is like, come on, everybody, <laughs> let's rock. And I'm like, hey, everybody. He's like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Hello, people. Like, if he ever thought, he or she, that his his build-up part of that song was me giving information about Facebook and podcasts, his, like, his punk rock, I'm yep. sure his little soul would just cry a little bit. Here, you asked it. So, okay, go ahead. I have a random question because you are much more, have been much more in the music scene in your lifetime than I have ever been. Uh, what percentage, because you said he, and then you were like, or she. Yeah. I'm really curious. What percentage of drummers are women? Is it really, really low? Is that a it's, highly male-dominated thing or no? It is, and I think it needs to change. Okay. I, th- I think this world needs a whole lot more female drummers. And there's a few that are fantastic. Right. I don't know why it's been so male-dominated, to be honest. I mean, that's maybe uh, maybe more so than any other instrument, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I I never really thought of it until you made that statement. I was like, I've never really seen female drummers in like bands or anything. Gosh, okay. If you have good female drummer suggestions for us to listen to, please send that our way. I would love, I would love, love, love. I remember one of the greatest joys for me was like teaching my little sister to play drums. <laughs> and I don't know, she hasn't played since then, but I was like, yes, we need, we need more girl drummers. Uh, all right, a couple of things before we dive in. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. All the previous podcasts are there. But maybe the best thing you could do for us is to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, rate and review it, and then share it with a friend. Usually there's a little share button right there. You can just sort of text it to a friend and say, hey, listen to these two yakos or whatever. <laughs> whatever you want to do to do, to help us share that, um, every little bit helps, and uh, we really, really appreciate it. I teed this up before the break, and I don't really know why I wanted to delve into this story. It just made me feel good. Can I say that? Is yes. that okay? We like the feel-good stories. I, we, and not everyone. Sometimes I'm kind of like, all right, that's too sugary sweet. But this says, prison in Indiana accepts shelter cats, and they transform prisoners' lives. Hmm. It uh, opens by saying this, animals are known to heal us. In fact, the therapeutic power of dogs and cats has long been respected and welcomed by us for years. They help with depression, anxiety, and serve as some of the best companions, elevating our moods and decreasing blood pressure. Their ability to transform lives stems out even further, helping convicted offenders. The state of Indiana, coupled with the Animal Protection League, to start up a rather amazing project at the uh, Pendleton Correctional Facility called FORWARD, which is an acronym, in 2015. The idea is actually brilliant. Shelter cats are being placed in the correctional facility and inmates are in charge of their care. The project soon proved to be an amazing initiative for both the inmates and the cats. Many of these cats come mm. from terrible backgrounds and the ability to socialize with humans in a controlled environment ensures that they also get proper treatment and the care they so deservedly need. Hmm. What do you think of this story? I don't even know if you're a cat guy or not. I grew up with cats. Like this story gives me so much hope because it's like the creative use of solutions like right under our noses that I've never heard of anyone doing. No. And they're using it for the common good, which is, you know, fitting for this show. I I love this story. It's a great story. Uh, am I a cat person? Uh, not so much, but I did grow up with two cats. Uh, and so uh, since getting married and we've now had two little dogs, so I'm more okay. of a dog guy. Um, but even when I think about my dog, we have a little, so I'm almost a cat person cause our dog's like 14 pounds, a little tiny, um, uh, look, tiny dog. And this dog, I've told you this before, gets so excited when I come home. So excited, like goes crazy. More excited than anyone else in your house. Like you could combine everybody <laughs> else's excitement together. Not and it close. doesn't equal this 14 pound, like. She jumps up and then she like uh, her tail goes crazy. She's going crazy. Then she runs down. She jumps back up to make sure she saw you again and goes crazy. And I bring that up to say there is something that just happens in our souls with the love of an animal. And man, the director of of the Animal Protection League was quoted as saying, I've had offenders tell me when they got an animal, it was the first time they can remember they were allowing themselves to care about something yes. and to love something. Ugh. It does get back to a much bigger discussion about our prison systems, right? Like, if, is the point rehabilitation or is it punishment or a little bit of both? If there's a point to that we long for there to be rehabilitation, then things like this... Um, are, are so important, like it, being creative in these ways. And if these guys are, are being and, and women are being cared for by shelter cats and being loved and learning something and having some sort of switch of empathy come up on in them, 
then man, this is great. We need to think outside the box in these ways more and more. Let me let me read a couple other quotes for you. It says uh, it teaches them responsibility, how to interact in a group using nonviolent methods to solve problems and gives them the unconditional love of a pet, something that many of these inmates have never known and ends by saying this, the MCKC program has reduced offender idleness, taught offenders about responsibility and increased their self-esteem. Mm. Since the program's inception, uh, offenders have been motivated to enroll in school, obtain jobs, obey unit rules, and improve their hygiene so that they may become MCKC participants. The presence of animals on E-Unit has added a new calmness to E-Unit's therapeutic milieu and strengthened its community spirit. I, That, to me, is... I, if you would ask me, hey, what would be the benefit of giving shelter cats to inmates? I would never have guessed Mm-mm. the list would have been nearly that impressive. It, it, and maybe my curiosity is just too low. Or maybe I don't know enough about the power and benefit of pets. I haven't had a pet in a while. But, like, the thought that it would... I mean, this is like real life change for people that could potentially really set them up for success once they're out in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise experienced. I I just think that's brilliant. Uh, Absolutely. And I think we can learn these types of things um, in many of our other institutions, right? Whether it be schools or or other um, other hospitals, whatever. And you see the power of bringing in dogs and bringing in into a kid's ward in a hospital and what it does. There is. At the end of this article, there is something that, remember I said, part of undergirding this is what's the point of prison? Yeah, right. It says uh, that this got moved into death row, and the fact, the release that this was happening on death row made people rather angry Hmm. when this aired in 2018, showing viewers the story of Indiana State Prison's inmates who are allowed to keep cats in their cells. Hmm. People believe that those convicted of such heinous crimes should not have the privilege of caring for animals uh, or the responsibility stating that they cannot be trusted. Oh, wow. And so, you know, that gets back to what are we trying to accomplish there? But, man, I this is a heartwarming story. And um, it, there is some power of animals. And I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I would have ever really believed that again until having pets of our own and just seeing right. that. I, I do think that they love and they care and they, and they do so much for your soul. There is. I'm going to sound like a sap here, man. I have a really hard day. If I have a hard day, I come back and I'm sitting in a chair uh, or on our couch and our dog will always just jump up and sit on my lap and look up at me and like turn on her back being like, you're going to pet me now. Right. Right. There's something that is like that, that, that just helps pop the balloon of the day. Like, okay, I'm just going to pet my dog now. And she loves me. <laughs> here we go. So nothing I wrong do. with that, man. I love it. Would you I ever, would you ever plant the church like this? A church that uh, gives home and space to shelter cats. I, no. I feel like so many people, you don't have to be do in you, prison. Do you think I would? Mm, no. no. It Dogs sounds maybe. like a wonderful idea. I would never. That's kind of what I'm saying, though. Like, I'm not saying churches or prisons, obviously. But there's a lot of the things that it's saying that it helps people with. I'm like, I encounter people with that stuff all the time. Like, where, where's maybe the innovation that the church needs to learn from? Again, I'm not saying adopt right. a dog service, but maybe adopt a dog service. Have you heard of anyone even attempting anything like no, that? Not at all. Not at all. Why you know, not? I, I just, I don't even know how that would work. So I think the, I think you're right. I think there's something there. I think one of the newest things is the whole movement of like um, therapy dogs or, um, and even that people will often roll their eyes at like, really? Like you need this on an airplane or this. Yeah. But why do you think that is? People just don't buy it. I think so. I think this is a new thing that that's going to take some time to either prove itself or not prove itself. And so uh, I know that there was somebody in our church years ago who had a therapy dog and I was like, 
okay, I think this is okay. And then you saw the, the effect it had, and you're like, okay, no, 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 this is a good uh, thing. Okay, so, so you got a front row seat to seeing its effectiveness. I think then. that's the issue. I think that's the issue. Starting a church, it's like, you know, I don't know, goat yoga. I don't know that that too. But it's kind of like we talked about the school that was offering mental health days for yeah. their students, and some people were like, great idea. Other people were like, eye roll. Like, you know what I mean? Like there is, yes. uh, there's a very, very different opinion, I think, when it comes to any sort of like new methodology and uh, I don't know. This is one that I'm actually kind of excited about. And yeah. I hope that we continue to see that kind of innovation that like just makes sense. Like I hear more and more about like nurseries and nursing homes doing stuff together. Yes. That the people on both ends of that spectrum benefit by spending time together. Yeah. And that's an idea that's brand new. And I think just because it's new doesn't mean it has to be uh, poo-pooed so much. Absolutely. All right. Well, coming up next, I want to share a tweet by uh, a pastor, a doctor. He says, Theology 101, show me a believer who's not at least occasionally suspicious about or disappointed in their church or tradition and I'll show you a cult member. We're going to unpack that a little bit and uh, see if we agree at all. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. And that music always makes me think of a haunted house for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the spookiest intro. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you get that sense at all or is it not on that one? That one, the beginning of that one always feels a little bit like a, like a ride at Disney World. Like you're getting on. <laughs> I went haunted house. You went Disney World. You're getting on Space Mountain. It's like, <laughs> That's all you need to know about the differences between <laughs> Brian Promini and Simpkins. Who we are as people. Oh, no kidding. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio show 1160hope.com slash the common good on twitter at common good talk you can call us at 312-660-2594 and uh if you're a podcast person please like subscribe review that stuff helps us so much and then send it to someone you think might appreciate it or might hate it that could be fun um so i read this tweet and i don't even know where or how i saw it because i don't think i follow this guy it's a uh, dr michael j Sveigel. Is that right? S-V-I-G-E-L? Is that how you'd say that? I think so. Okay, Sveigel. I'm going to read it again because I teed it up, and I just want to get your honest-to-God reactions to the tweet, to the sentiment behind the tweet. Yeah. And uh, we do this every once in a while because Twitter is like a it's a real force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. And people are forming their opinions, their theological, political opinions based on what people tweet. So let's see what you think. Uh, he said, Theology 101, show me a believer who's not at least occasionally suspicious about or disappointed in their church or tradition, and I'll show you a cult member. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, so probably um, a little bit of overstatement for the effect, I would say. But with that said, um, this gets back at uh, where we talk, uh, you and I talk often about like, do people have the ability to question leadership? Right. Do people have the ability to question teaching? Right. Uh, do people have the opportunity or are you in more of a place where, nope, I said it, it's the law, the pastor said it, the CEO said it, the whatever, the principal said it, uh, therefore it's gospel. Right. Right. Like it, at church, is the gospel uh, the words of Jesus or are they the words of Ian or Brian or who named the pastor? And so, um, and that's, quite frankly, to go back to the tweet, what, you know, the definition of a cult or when, you know, <laughs> I remember listening to a podcast last year. I'd never done like a deep dive into, uh, who, what's his name? James Jones, the, who did, yes. uh, yeah. uh, the Kool-Aid and everything. Yeah. And, uh, Jonestown, uh, that this deep dive of a podcast kind of 
kind of did the whole history of it. And it was fascinating and terrifying because mm. you're like, how did people believe that? And then you realize it was years of being told to believe this right. that got to that point. And so you do get the point that this guy's making that uh, that the beginnings of a cult are mm. you can't question. Right. You must just believe the cult leader. Um, I would like to think that our churches don't function that way, but I get the sentiment behind it. It's a dangerous place. If leadership can't be questioned, if there's right. no transparency, right. if there's no accountability, like that's a very dangerous place to be and probably a, an, an unsafe place and one that you shouldn't be a part of. Well, I think he's also trying to elevate or expand the definition of cult because your example of Jim Jones, James Jones, by the way, is a basketball player. So I think I think he, he probably, probably was James. He, Jones, right. He probably became, preferred Jim. It's really though. funny because when I said it, I was like, it's not Man. his name. But I like to go with his more formal name of James Jones. That would be such a bummer to be like a semi-famous basketball player. And we're like, I'm not the same guy. Different, different Jim Jones. Can I can I just pause it? Because you're about to give make a really good point. <laughs> Thanks. But along those like not important lines, did yeah. you see the tweet? They, some Somebody showed a uh, an account of somebody on Twitter whose name is Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, I did see that, and it was really both funny and really sad. What was he saying? Well, he just kept going. I'm not the. I'm not the. Uh, uh, oh pedophile. yeah, because people are tweeting not, like threats at him and stuff. Hundred percent. Yep. People like after the suicide, and then it was after the suicide. The people were like, I'm glad you're going to burn and this. And then he's, he's like, like Jesus, not me. <laughs> right. Poor guy. Sorry. Go back to the bigger point. So, you're going to yeah. One, I think he's expanding or elevating uh, or redefining cult because we do. Your example is perfectly placed that we assume hoods and kool-aid right that's yep. where our brain goes when it comes to cold i think he's trying to imply maybe a bit too aggressively that like mm-hmm. all, cults look uh very differently With than different just shapes and sizes hoods yep. and kool-aid right but i want to read uh, a little exchange here on twitter because it's all public so why not so uh he tweeted that and then paul walton said uh pretty wide brush to paint with brother if i'm grounded in a good church that is fully orthodox and i'm not suspicious of it i might be in a cult so then Dr. Mm-hmm. Michael responded, he says, I don't believe there is any church or denomination that has every single doctrine and practice right. In fact, I'm 100% sure I hold to doctrinal opinions that are wrong, but mm-hmm. 100% sure I'll never know what some of those are, which is remarkably humble. And yep. then yep. Walton responds and says, that is why we have creeds as guidelines, so we don't continue in error. But I get your point. God bless and then he responds, Dr. Michael, finally. Did you know it? God bless it. You're just supposed to stop responding then. Yeah, that's not what he says. He's, uh, Dr. Michael says, my post assumes creedal orthodoxy as a baseline. Hmm. So he's saying even in light of creedal yeah. orthodoxy. I like what he says kind of in response here, though. Uh, no church gets it 100% right. I'm 100% sure that I hold the stuff that's wrong. And 100% sure that I'll never know what some of those things are. Yep. Is that... Humble? Is that humble? Is that depressing? Is that both? Is that neither? What do you, what I think, do you think? It's humble. I think it's accurate. Yeah. I think th- this is the foolishness of it. Like the, the creeds are are I totally get what that guy's saying, and 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 he's saying basically as a baseline, uh, we can agree on like the essentials, on the biggies. But there's a lot more after that. That while it may not be salvific, they're important. Right. And and for me to take a spot of arrogance that says and not this guy wasn't doing that, but for me to take a spot of arrogance and say, I've got all of it right. Right. is just foolishness hmm. and, 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 and arrogant. And so therefore, I think what that guy's saying is uh, I'm going to have things wrong or places I haven't been pushed. And so do I have the do people have the ability to push me? And the, right. the, the danger in a church is. When the person in charge who makes all the decisions hmm. is also the one who is not allowed to be pushed or anything, then that's where things can get really dangerous. Okay. Power power plays can be made. 
Yeah, that's um, true. Can I ask you a question, though? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Can you both agree that your church doesn't have everything 100% cornered and still think it's wrong to question? Can they both live in tension? Could, could someone read that thread and go, uh, yeah, I I do acknowledge that my denomination, my practice, my tradition isn't getting everything right. I still don't think it's right for me to ever question, to ever be, what's he say, occasionally suspicious or disappointed. That's a great question. I would say that they're probably coming at it from a little bit of different sides because uh, there, there's the, do I have the ability to question? Can I sit right. at Community Christian Church and listen to Ian talk and go, you know what, Ian, I think I, I just am not comfortable with something you said. And can I come to you in a posture of humility hmm. and say, hey, can we talk this out? I would love that, by the way. Or, I love that. That's one aspect of that. Or can I sit at Community Christian Church and listen to Ian week after week and email him every Monday right. and just say, I think you're this, I think you're this, and just have this air of suspicion mm. and be looking for things that are wrong. I right. think there are two very different attitudes mm. that I know you, you're going to be like, man, if someone came to you in humility and was like, I'd really want to wrestle with this with you, you're going to be like, yes. Oh, Totally. If Joe Blow is going week after week, you know, mm. posting, being like, you're wrong. Can we meet again? I want to tell you why you're wrong. Eventually, you're going to be like, you got, we, we have an issue. Here okay, third we got option, a though. Let's say sure. it's week after week, but it's humble each time. What you just painted is really humble one-time approach or belligerent constant approach. What if it's constant, but very humble and gracious each time? So it's like, wow, every week you're suspicious of something, but you're super kind and humble about it every time. Yeah, I guess I have a problem with the word suspicious. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh. Suspicious feels like... I'm going into this assuming there's mm. something wrong. Right, right, right. And I do think that that's a dangerous way to enter into a church. Like, I think you and I are that's pastors. Fair. I think from the other end, people need to go into churches going, they're not going to have it all right. There's going to be issues. Okay. I don't need to be looking for every... Now, suspicious kind of raises conspiracy theory for me. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to think, look for everything that's hiding under rocks and assume worst things. I think if you assume I'm going to get things wrong every now and then, and I acknowledge I'm going to get things wrong every now and then, right. it sets a standard for a great conversation. It's, it starts with trust, though. Yeah, like, there's just, trust there. I, I'm uncomfortable with the word suspicion, I guess. What if somebody can't help it, though? I'm not saying that they, you know, I, some suspicious, some people are just more suspicious in general. Like, I want to recognize that you and I are both in leadership at yep. a church. So, of yep. course, we're going to have a different relationship with the word suspicion than someone who's like, hey, man, I've been really burned by the church. It's taken me 10 years to attend one again. Yeah. I just got to be honest. I got a lot of guard up. I'm probably going to be sending you a lot of emails. Like, do you have extra grace for someone who gives you the backstory for why they're so suspicious? Absolutely. I would say send me those emails. Can you give me the same grace that I may not answer all of them? That's great. <laughs> I may not. Yeah. If people it's all about attitude, if they come yeah. to grace with me and also the attitude of the leader. Like you and I have talked a million times about how off, how much feedback we get when we get up in front of people and be like, this is a struggle for me. Yes. Right. I may be getting this wrong. Right. Right. This right. might be off. I just think it's, this is calls into just, it's just about attitude from both sides. Well, keep, I hope you're hearing us. Keep pushing back. Keep asking questions, but do so again, maybe with, with the apostle yep. Paul in mind with gentleness and respect to do so in a way that's honoring, that recognizes that we don't have everything all figured out and right. that assumes the best motive even yes that we're all trying our best to follow after jesus and, and to do it together i think that's i think that's really well said absolutely well coming up next here's an article out of los angeles times the la times that says how not to say the wrong thing you're gonna want to hear this one that's coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life everyone welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins along with brian Fromm. that song is no diggity no doubt 
which is, I think, fitting for this next segment. Uh, I teed it up a little bit. It's an article I found on the L.A. Times, and the headline kind of caught my attention. It says, how not to say the wrong thing, which probably caught my attention for a number of reasons. I often find myself saying the wrong thing. Mm. Are you like a nervous talker at all, by chance? Like uh, if you're at a meal or yes. somebody you don't know, you're like, I just have to fill the silence. Is that a thing that you do? Uh, it totally is. Uh, you've joked with me that even in the short time that you've known me, that even when it's silent, I'll just start like humming things. Like, you know. You do I hum. Like, I like to fill space, <laughs> which I appreciate. And it's funny because other people have pointed that out about me. And it's just something you don't know about yourself. And so, right. yeah, silence. I think we all struggle on some level with silence and how to just be empathetic. It's the old book of Job that, you know, the best friend there is the one who just sits quietly going, I don't know what to say. Right. Um, but this article is fascinating about when you should speak and when you shouldn't. Well, and it's an interesting thing because I think it's something that more people are interested in than we give credit for. I don't think people like saying the wrong thing. Like no. some people are kind of they're categorized as brash or they're, you know, they're, you know, bulls in China shops. I think those people also are like, I don't want to say the wrong thing, especially when it's someone who's grieving. Like it's one thing just to be a nervous talker, like you're having coffee with someone you don't know that well and you just start saying things. There's other people. I heard a comedian. <laughs> I think it was Pete Holmes. and He was saying. Best like dating advice I ever got was just to Ryan Gosling the whole situation. Don't say anything. Just, <laughs> it's amazing how sure much Ryan people appreciate that. <laughs> right, right? Just play the quiet, cool. Yeah. And I've had coffee with people that are like almost silent, and I end up walking away being like, "They're so cool." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I remember somebody talking about this was years ago. Uh, so I was pastor, one of the pastors at Glenelg Bible Church, and somebody. Uh, was talking about one of our other pastors and so much what they appreciated about them. And he looked at me and he said, they just talk when they have something to say. Oh, man. And I was like, I feel like you're complimenting them and <laughs> taking a shot at me. It at feels directed right at me. Because you're looking at me, not going, you know what I appreciate about you? <laughs> right, right. He like ended it with a wink. You're like, oh, okay, that no. feels pointed. And if you knew this person, it was pointed. <laughs> it was meant for a purpose. Well, and it's it's something that we've talked about, or at least touched on a couple of times. I think so often when we, uh, when we feel uncomfortable about what to say, and in Christendom, a lot of it, a lot of it looks like, you know, Verses out of context or yep. platitudes and sanctimonies that sometimes can be helpful, but most of the time they're not. That often has far more to do with the person saying them than the person who's grieving yeah. because we feel like we have to do something, which is why I found this article so interesting. And it's a it's a take on that topic that I've n- I've not actually quite seen. So why don't you why don't you fill us in a little bit on the big idea yeah. of how not to say the wrong thing? Yeah, and I'm going to try to paint it. Well, there's there's a there's a great picture that goes with this article. So I'm going to. Uh, try to paint that for you a little bit here, but also we'll put up on our Facebook page so you can see it. Um, so basically the author, uh, let me give the author credit. The author's name is Susan Silk, a clinical psychologist. And, and uh, Barry Goldman. And Barry Goldman is an arbitrator and mediator and the author of The Science of Settlement, Ideas for Negotiators. Uh, and so she begins by telling the story about a friend by the name of Katie who had a brain aneurysm. She's intensive care. Her husband's there. And a friend comes in and sees her and steps out in the hall with the husband and says, I wasn't prepared for this. I don't know if I can handle it. And we've all been in those situations. But like the the, the author's point is like, it's not about you. Like you're with somebody who's more aggrieved. And so from there, this author sets out to say, when should you kind of uh, offer comfort? And when should you talk about your own feelings and dump on a person? 
And uh, she does it with these concentric circles. So basically, think of it this way. If something happened to Ian, right? Like Ian gets a diagnosis. Hopefully, none of this doesn't happen today. Yeah, thanks for speaking that into existence, I know, man. I know. <laughs> but let's say uh, something happens to Ian. He would be the center of the whole diagram. He'd be the center of the circle. And then there's a next circle out, the people closest to you, your wife, your kids. The next circle out would be the, the you know your extended family, your parents, your siblings. The next circle out are your good friends. Uh, maybe the next circle out of your colleagues at church, people who go to your church, and you can see how this works. And it, she makes a fascinating point in this. Basically, she says this, if somebody's in a circle closer than you, if they're closer to the person who's going through the trauma, then you can't dump on that person. You only offer comfort. I'm yeah. so sorry for what you are going through. Right. I'm so sorry for this. If the person's further away from you, from uh, from the uh, center than you, you can say things like, Here's how it's affecting me. Right. Here's how I'm struggling with it. Her point is what we often, the mistake we so often make is the people who are closer, who are feeling this more strongly, uh, we go to them and we say, oh, I'm struggling with this so much. And then you're like, what? Let me tell you a quick story where I, heard, I remember learning this really uh, in vivid detail. Hmm. Uh, a college buddy of mine, uh, tragically, a year or two after we got out of college, his mom passed away in a car accident. Jeez. So we all flock to where he's living. We all go to the funeral. Yeah. And to kind of take his mind off of it, uh, we all went golfing. Uh, mm. Like, so the funeral's the next day. He's like, let's just all go golfing. So that was uh, his suggestion. Yeah. I I, I, I seem to remember that. So we mm. all go golfing. And, you know, it's a kind of a surreal thing, but we're laughing and we're doing this. And he goes, I, I remember talking to him, like, how have things been? Like, what's it like? He goes, let me show you something. So mm. he used to work at this golf course, small town. Everybody knew the family. Yeah. Uh, we walk into the pro shop at the golf course uh, and immediately and in a really caring way, all these people see him and start crying and come running to him. And I watch as he has to comfort these other people, Oh man, which is a natural thing to it's happen. But natural, I remember yeah. walking out of there going, that's backwards. He like, just had to care for a bunch he, of people. Yeah. He's like, that's just how it's been. Cause people are like, wow. they see me and all their emotion comes out. And that's what this is totally getting at. Right. Like don't dump your emotions on people who are feeling it more strongly, who are closer to the center. The picture, we should put this on Facebook because I find the picture to be really fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's already there on Facebook, but the, so oh, the I, sh I should be checking our <laughs> Facebook page more often. Okay. So she calls it ring theory and I, I want to just read, it kind of explains what you just said, but she yep. said it so succinctly. So again, keeping these concentric circles in mind, uh, she says, when you're talking to a person in a ring smaller than yours, someone closer to the center of the crisis, the goal is to help. Mm. Listening is often more helpful than talking. I'm going to say that one again. Listening is often more helpful than talking. But if you're going to open your mouth, ask yourself if what you are about to say is likely to provide comfort and support. If it isn't, don't say it. Don't, for example, give advice. People who are suffering from trauma don't need advice. They need comfort and support. So say, I'm sorry, or this must be really hard for you, or can I bring you a pot roast? Don't say, uh -huh. you should hear what happened to me, or here's mm -hmm. what I would do if I were you. And don't say... This is really bringing me down. If you want to scream or cry or complain, if you want to tell someone how shocked you are or how icky you feel or whine about how it reminds you of all the terrible things that have happened to you lately, that's fine. It's a perfectly normal response. Just do it to someone in a bigger ring. And here's kind yeah. of the whole point. Comfort in, dump out. And I, I'm going to, that's going to stick with really me. Good. Comfort inward dump outward and again inward is the people closest to the crisis and then each concentric circle kind of represents a distance from the crisis yep. or the trauma or the tragedy 
I'm not a I'm not a psychoanalyst. I'm not a therapist. I would love to know what other people kind of think of this principle. Yeah. It's obviously highly simplistic, so I'm sure there's nuance, which and makes caveats. it more helpful. I, it does yes. for me at least, <laughs> yes. especially in pastoral counseling. You know, yep. sometimes, like we mentioned at the beginning of the segment, sometimes in our discomfort or our sadness for someone else, our response actually isn't a listening ear yep. or comfort. It's we want their pain to go away, and I think in our best attempts to help. We'll offer Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, yep. or we'll offer a poem, or we'll offer a. Yeah, I remember when this thing happened to me as a yep. way to sort of we think build a bridge, and I think yep. more and more we're reading it just isn't as helpful as we think it is. Yeah, I, I uh, this is really helpful for me because a lot of times all we have to offer people often is our own experience, right? But so often we're dealing with people where I haven't experienced half of what they're experiencing in that moment, and I can only imagine now looking back what it sounded like to be like. Yeah, you know, here's how I'm dealing with this. Like, what? Like, this is my wife here. This is my husband. You right, know? right. And, and so I love how she ends the article. She says, remember, you can say whatever you want if you just wait until you're talking to somebody in a larger ring than yours. And don't worry, you'll get your turn in the center ring. You can count on that. Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a little dark, but that's... Probably true. (laughs) I find the simplicity of this and just the the comfort in dump out so helpful. I'm gonna this is gonna stick with me. I think this is this is gold. And we I'd love to know what people think too. Find the article on the Facebook page, or uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or call us three one two six six zero two five nine four and share your own thoughts. And it makes me think, even as I as I kind of wrap up, we did a segment a couple months ago. On this TED Talk, where essentially the the speaker's main premise was, we don't move on from grief, we move forward with it. Mm. And so this grief thing is something that all of us are struggling with. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, even, that is this thing that unifies us. So it's something that we're always, always, always going to be struggling with or grappling with in some capacity. And uh, gosh, I'm really, really challenged by this and hope that you are too. Well, to wrap it up the way that we always do, Mm -hmm. we're going to land this plane with some interweb insanity, some nonsense that uh, our producers found online that we have not read or seen yet. And that's how we're going to land this plane here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And that wacky music can mean, it should only mean one thing. That means the end of the show. But don't, don't leave yet. Nope, stay. The best is yet to come. That's probably not fair to call this the best. The weirdest is yet to come. That's, that's probably not even true either, actually. So if you're just joining us, we uh, end the show the same way every time. And it is a couple of stories that our producers have found that uh, we've not seen. We've not read them. We've, we're kind of usually judging based on their smirks, how, how dark they're going to get. Uh, so they've selected them and they've installed, installed, uploaded sound bites, drops, as they say in the biz, the that biz. we've also not heard. So if they're... We're new to the biz. Yeah, right. We say things like biz still. That's that's how you know. Just so you know, we've not read or seen these. We have no idea what's coming. And uh, that's how we like to end the show because we're not good at making decisions. So go ahead, Brian Fromm. Washington State, not Washington, D.C. Man asked to leave restaurant throws no parking sign into window. Okay, as one does. Beth's Cafe in Seattle said a man who was asked to leave the restaurant early Sunday hurled a no-parking street sign through the diner's windows, sending glass flying inside as people were eating. The 24-hour restaurant near Green Lake shared surveillance video with local TV news in hopes of someone identifying the man who was seen on video quickly leaving in a car driven by someone else as people ran out of the restaurant. The video shows the driver hitting a parked car behind them as people banged on the car that eventually drove south on Aurora Avenue. Chantel Hagerman 
A manager at Beth's Cafe said the unidentified man left behind nearly $3,000 in damage. Video from inside the restaurant around 3.30 a.m. Sunday showed customers ducked down as shattered glass went into the diner. Oh, boy. An employee had left the table near the window less than a minute before the sign was thrown through it. Hagerman said the man who threw the sign had walked into Beth's Cafe with a group of people. She said one person with him was told to leave soon after arriving for behaving aggressively with a customer already inside. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> I can always tell when you're ending the article, you have this like very old school like, in the restaurant, in the inside. And that's the story. <laughs> that's the way the cookie crumbles. Florida. There it is. Man cited for landing helicopter in friend's backyard as birthday surprise. <laughs> surprise. This might be my friend, actually. Uh, a South Florida man thought it would be a cool idea to surprise a friend on her birthday by landing his helicopter in her backyard. Authorities were not amused and nope. surprised Kiffer? Kiffer? Leo. I can see what goes by Leo. Kiffer. Kefir, you think so? K-F-I-R. All right. Let's go by Leo. (laughs) Quote Leo. (laughs) As we all know, a common shortening of kefir. Maybe it's a a silent K. Oh, you think it's just fur? You think it's just fur? Just fur. You think he goes by fur sure? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyway, he was given a citation. Now, his last name is Baranis. Baranis is fighting the ticket in court, according to the Sun Sentinel. In June, Baranis flew a Robinson R44 Raven 2 with two passengers to Coral Springs. The newspaper reported Baranis said... He planned to give his friend a quick helicopter ride for her birthday, figuring the single mother's two children would get a kick out of the gesture. Uh, the Sun Sentinel reported startled neighbors called police who called the fire department to shut the street down so Baranis could leave. Coral Spring officials want to fine Baranis $500 for violating a city code that prevents pilots from taking off or landing aircraft away from an airport. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like it should have been edited. And don't call me Kefir. <laughs> Next level. That'd be next level. Arkansas girl petitions company that makes green army men to include women in the toy mix. Hmm. Have you ever noticed that there are no green army women fighting alongside the green army men toys commonly found in toy aisles and dollar stores? Touche. I've not noticed. Touche. A six-year-old girl did, and she is doing something about it. Vivian Lord of Little Rock, Arkansas, was looking for green army women. When she was playing and wrote letters to three companies asking them to add females to their ranks. Her letter explains that her friend's mother is in the army too and that the pink version of the classic toy isn't enough of a change since the figures are all male, just cast in pink plastic. Busted. (laughs) Even her mother didn't realize that there were no women in the mix of army toys. BMC Toys was on Vivian's mailing list and Jeff Immel responded saying that he's been thinking of drafting some female figurines for years. They've made, even made some concept art for potential toys. All right, men, you heard it. Code red, repeat. We are code red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Let's move, 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 move. That's Toy Story, right? Sounds right. <laughs> I actually don't know. I thought you were looking over my shoulder to John because he usually answers those questions. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> Brian's texting between uh, between readings. I heard it all. I was like, he's not asking me that question. He's the drop guy. I thought you were okay. asking the drop we guy. We got two more to go. We run out of time. Maryland crab leg bandit allegedly steals groceries, tries to hit employee with car. Huh? A woman allegedly tried to hit a Martin's Food employee with her cart in Eld- Eldersburg when he confronted her about stealing groceries August 14th. Shane C. Front. 
27, was released on $7,000 bail August 15th online court record show. Front was charged with first degree assault, second degree assault, theft of property valued between $100 and $1,500. Wow. Wow. Reckless driving, driving without a license, failing to give insurance information after being involved in an accident, failing to furnish required written identification after damage occurred, failing to notify the owner of an unintended vehicle damage. Uh, Store employee referred to front to police as the crab leg bandit. She's terrifying. <laughs> Last one, Minnesota. Half-naked woman involved in burglary located in trunk of random man's car. That's a lot right there. <laughs> a woman is facing multiple charges after authorities claim she burglarized a house before she was located half-naked in the trunk of a man's car. Kristen Hart of Byron is facing charges of second-degree burglary, theft, and fifth-degree possession of a controlled substance after an odd sequence of events. Hart was allegedly involved in a scuffle with one of the victims, a 64-year-old female, and had part of her shirt ripped off after she was seen running out of the residence. During the scuffle, a car showed up, and the person asked Hart if she needed help. Uh, That's when Hart voluntarily got into the trunk of the man's car. Authorities pulled over the vehicle, and the man told them she was in the trunk. The driver told deputies that he realized something wasn't right, panicked, and didn't know what to do. A known accomplice of Hart is accused of stealing the iPads. Also, he's facing a second-degree burglary charge. Felton could face additional charges for fleeing and DUI. Oh, this isn't where I parked my car. Yeah, we've had that one before, I think, right? That's... Is that, that drop? Yeah, dude, where's my but, car? Uh, okay, I thought you meant the story. I'm like, no, that's a new story right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confident that's a new story. Well, hope you had as much fun as we did. At least half as much fun. Hope you'll join us tomorrow and every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. on AM 1160, wherever it is you get your podcast. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and this has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.